0: Hey, oh nope. Check one, check, 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 check. Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Nyka Spaulding, and we are pressing on the book of Jude now looking at the second warning uh, that he gives to his readers. And so this will be Jude 17 through 19. Jude verses 17 through 19. And this is the word of the Lord. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, so yesterday or you know, the one before this, we talked about Jude 14 through 16. What Jude has essentially done is he's given all of his references to what the false teachers are like. And then he like the guy who stands between the bully and the one being bullied, he steps and he's like, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't walk away. What's interesting, though, is you get the sense that Jude In these passages, especially in verses 17 through 19, in the second warning, as much as he's warning the false teachers, and I do think there's a part of that in there, as much as this is him being like, hey, listen, turn back, it's really a letter to the people he's worried about following them it's a letter that he's saying, listen, hey, readers of this letter, listen, these people in your body, I am concerned for them. You can see that. Like, I don't know how to, I haven't pulled any punches. I've punched them in the face over and over again. in the most loving punches I can do telling the truth about their wickedness. But right here, you see, he is directly addressing the recipients of the letter. He's like, hey, beloved, listen to me. I am, this is my second warning about what's going to happen to those false teachers and about how we need to be careful about them. And this time he is, he is not leaving any mistake as to who he's talking to. He's calling them by the name that they can receive because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. They are the loved ones, the beloved ones, the agapeitwe. And so it's a really beautiful thing that he's doing here is you're getting the sense that Jude is this guy who has not pulled punches at all in this letter and yet he can still remain tender and merciful and caring of the people to whom this letter is going. And so yesterday our warning came from the Old Testament by way of first Enoch. He used Enoch to quote the Old Testament and say, Hey, these massive warning texts from the Old Testament about the wicked people of God and God's going to send down an army to like take you out. By the way, that's you. Today, what we get is really a New Testament flavor of this. And he is quoting really the apostles and people from the New Testament era. And so it's really interesting. He tells the the people, his, his readers, he's like, hey, remember what you received from the apostles. Okay. And so you want to talk about like, essentially what is going on here is Jude is writing to a most likely a church, a gathered people of God. And he's telling them, hey, you beloved ones, hold tight to the teaching that you received from the apostles. And of course, the apostles, who are these guys? These are the people that literally walked with Jesus Christ. They're the people who literally walked with the half brother of Jude, Jesus Christ. So they're the ones that that Christ entrusted to build his church, right? He comes to Peter. He's like, hey, Peter, do you love me? Of course, I love you. Do you love me? Of course, I love you. Lord, you know, I love you. Then feed my sheep, right? And he has in, in the upper room in Acts 1, where he comes to them and they say, hey, are you going to now establish your kingdom? And he's like, Guys, you, you gosh, I've been with you for so long. You still don't fully get it, do you? Like you want power, but I'm trying to help you understand like the most powerful posture you're ever gonna have is on your knees, empowered by the spirit that I'm gonna send you. And then the spirit comes upon them and they are learning that the power and the kingdom of God is to go out by the way of the gospel, to go out and preach grace and do justice. And so these are the people in the upper room that were given the foretaste of the Holy Spirit and given the Holy Spirit and they go out in the book of Acts and they start establishing all these churches. One of these churches that was established by the apostles would have been the recipients of this letter from Jude. It would have been one of those churches that would have been established. And Jude is saying to them, listen, do not forsake the teaching of those who walked with Jesus and helped establish your church. And he says to them, listen, they also told you that this was going to happen Right. And so he's referencing, especially like you can see parallels in what Jude's writing here in Second Peter 2, 1 and 3. So you've got Peter who most likely wrote that letter. There's some controversy there, but I think he wrote it. Um, and you've got John writing in 1 John 4. We, we went through this this last time, like so many parallels between what Jude is writing and what John is writing. You've got Paul writing to Timothy, especially in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. You've got Matthew, the tax collector, re- recording the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 7, 15 to 19. Like it. It should not surprise the readers that there are these people coming in and causing division and preaching a gospel of their own rather than like it has been well known among the early church. So and this is this should be comforting, right? If you're receiving this letter from Jude, what he's essentially saying to you is listen, not only is what they're doing equivalent to the Old Testament rebellious people, but hey, those that establish you, those that loved you enough to come in here and to teach you what it is that Jesus Christ taught us to come and establish a church among you to teach you what it means to believe in the death and resurrection, what humility, what the dividing wall of hostility being knocked down by the power of the Spirit. A church has been born here. The kingdom of God is unleashed in this place. Those people who came and loved you enough to do this, they warned you Peter warned you, John warned you, Paul warned you, Jesus warned you, Matthew warned you, right? This is, you should not be surprised that there would be people that would come in among you into your love feast and try and cause divisions. They said that there would be these scoffers. They said that there would be those who follow their own ungodly passions. They said that this would happen, that there would be division which is so interesting because it's exactly what we see, right, in the other letters of the New Testament, right? You've got Paul, especially to the church in Corinth, and he's he's getting on to them for their divisions. He's like, some of you say I'm with Apollo. Some of you say I'm with Cephas, which is the name for Peter. And he's like, you know, hey, listen, we plant the seeds and water it. But listen, God causes growth. So don't divide the body of Christ. Like, who are you to divide the body of Christ, right? And he tells them that, right? You also have... He tells them to be sure to maintain the spirit and the unity of the bond of peace among you. Why? Because they knew there would be those that would come in and seek to divide. And what the church of God has tried to be from the very beginning is a very bizarre people. A people who are alien and strangers in this world. Who would have a, a, a citizenship in another world so that when we come together... We, can, we do not have to be divided by the color of our skin. We don't have to be divided by our socioeconomic class. We don't have to be divided by our genders. We don't have to be divided by our citizenship status, right? The people of God are meant to be a people that are unified in our love for God and are unified by our love of each other. And so here's Jude telling his listeners, listen to me, do not go off with these people. These elitists who try to make this elite group and act like they have some special knowledge. They do not. And he goes so far as to say, not only hold on to the apostles teaching, who told you that these guys would come among you and do this, but not only that, these guys who claim to have special spiritual knowledge, who claim to have special whatever, they don't even have the spirit of God. I mean, that's like a boom, drop the hammer type of statement. And it's almost ironic, right? These people have come in, they claim some higher spiritual authority, they claim some higher spiritual teaching, they're trying to play their favoritism, which we learned in yesterday's lesson. And and Jude goes so far as to drop the hammer and go, I don't even think the Spirit of God is with them. And you're like, holy, right? And that is such a good litmus test for the early church, right? Because the Spirit of God is what has gone out and shown the people what the people of God are supposed to look like. You see this, right? So you see the the when the Spirit first goes out in the book of Acts, it's predominantly Jewish-centric. And then it goes into Samaria, and that's weird for them. But they're like, well, they're half Jewish, so okay. And then you have this incredible story where Philip goes out, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch. And he's, and God takes him to the eunuch, and at the end of Acts chapter 8, and he, and he, he, teaches him what the scriptures say. And then Philip's literally going, well, uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't get baptized. And they stop the carriage and they baptize him, right? And then right after that, he God himself sends Peter to Cornelius' house. And he's like, hey, Peter, I need you to go share the gospel. And Peter's like, this is confusing. I don't really hang out with Gentiles. We tend to have this uh, racial tension between us. And God's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's no more. I'm doing a new thing here. And Peter's like, okay. And he goes in and he brings the people, the Jewish leaders. And he's like, guys, listen to me. Um, God is in this place. The spirit of God has gone out into not only Samaria, but into Gentile lands, into Gentile people. Like the spirit of God is an incredible testimony to this is where God is at. And this is exactly what Judah is saying these teachers do not have. He's like, they, they don't have the spirit of God. They don't have special knowledge. They don't have the grounds for some elitist group. They have nothing of value to offer to you. And you should not be surprised that they've come in here and tried to divide you because the ones who have the spirit, the apostles, the ones who walked with Jesus, the men who were entr- men and women who were entrusted by God to go out and plant these churches, they told you, be weary, be leery, be careful, because there will be those that come in and try and divide you and try to make it seem as if there's a special knowledge. And that is just simply not how God is building his church. His church is meant to not be one of division. His church is not one where you have to have special spiritual insight. In fact, his church is so accessible, he gives you himself in this, in the form of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling among you. So what's our so what? I, I think, one, I think I love the pastoral pivot here. For Jude. Okay. So, so a couple of things. I think it is really important that when there is a, I, I think of my role as I'm a resident theologian, which means I help pastor a church where I'm at. And I'm right now thinking of my role as I feed sheep and I protect sheep. I feed sheep and I protect sheep. And this is, this is a, it's, a paradigm that I've been thinking through in light of the fact that we're in a global pandemic. How do I feed my sheep and keep them safe when there's a virus lurking among us, right? And so there's, we think about these things all the time. So I think Jude is doing these things. He's saying, listen, I've got to feed my sheep, but I also need to protect them. And you see the very strong language that Jude reserves for those who would come in and try and harm his sheep. People that he says, listen, they don't even have the Holy Spirit. They are not among us. I am telling you right now, they are as wicked as Cain. They are as wicked as the men at Korah's rebellion. They are as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. I will not use polite terms around them because I am concerned that they will harm the sheep that I'm trying to protect. And then there's this pivot when he talks to the beloved. And you get this pastoral sense from him that he's saying, listen, I know that this is confusing and difficult. And so I want to remind you, the beloved ones, the agapeitwe, those who are loved by God, I want to remind you, this is not new. This is not surprising us. This was foretold about by those who loved you enough to come plant this church. So do not forsake the teaching of the elders that came in here and loved you and established you and walked with my brother, Jesus. Do not forsake that. And there is this sense of pastoral love that is coming through. And I think that is really important that we make good distinctions. Sometimes what I see in social media, or maybe even in pastoral practice, is we don't make good distinctions about how we talk to certain folks about the gospel and about their rebellion and about their sin, right? It's it's one thing to talk to those who are being harmed and saying, hey, be careful. It's one thing to talk to those who are simply lost and don't know, which is what he's doing. here. Hey, be careful. Be careful. It's another thing with how you speak to a wolf who's coming in hoping to devour. And I think sometimes we talk to sheep like they're wolves, And sometimes we're polite to wolves because we just have learned to be polite. And I think Jude is helping us make very good distinctions here, just like John does. If you go through John's letters as well, he is very pastoral when he's talking to those he's concerned for. And then when there are false teachers, he's like, listen, I'm a shepherd. I will get out my stick. And I think it's really important to make good distinctions about wolves and sheep and making sure, especially I think online, we sometimes confuse those things. And I think we... I have seen the pastoral malpractice of using language that when we look at the scriptures, it's language designed for wolves and Pharisees, sometimes applied to sheep and those who simply don't know. And so I think it's a good pastoral practice for us to just be careful. But I think the other thing that we can take away from this other so what for us is just how important unity within the church really is. And, you know, we have a long, complicated church history, right? This is in the beginning when the church is being established. And so here are the apostles, those going out going, hey, be careful, there's going to be divisions among us. We are now a couple thousand years removed. And so there's like, I mean, we literally have had schisms. We've had church breaks, right? Some of you listening to this might have even grown up. I I have friends who grew up in a church and then there was a, a division within the church and then the church split and it's painful. And I'm not saying every time a church splits, it's necessarily wrong. But I am saying, I think that we do not take unity as seriously as we should sometimes. I think sometimes we allow secondary or tertiary issues within the church to become primary and we don't mind a little bit of gossip a little bit of faction, a little bit of elitist separation, a little bit of, well, we do this and they do that. And I think if we were as serious about maintaining the spirit of unity and the bond of peace as the early church was, that if we took seriously that what God does through his Holy Spirit is knocking down the dividing wall of hostility so that there could be a diverse, beautiful expression of the people of God as the kingdom of God that shows a lost and dying world, this is what it looks like to get along even when we disagree. I think we would have more productive evangelistic efforts. Barna Research recently put out research talking about millennials, and it said that 40% of millennials believe that to disagree with someone means that you are judging each other. That disagreement means judgment. Now, you can knock on millennials all you want. I am one, so I don't. I love us. And frankly, I think we're coming on strong. I think we're coming into our our best years, millennials. I believe in us. I think we're going to change the world. Like, let's go. But part of why I think it's easy for millennials to believe that disagreement is judgment is because they don't have good examples. We live in a polarized world where right now, I I don't know that Democrats and Republicans have ever been farther apart. Maybe they have. I'm not a good historian, but I don't know about you. I just see division everywhere. And I think what Jude is telling us, I think what Paul was telling us, I think what Jesus was telling us, I think what Matthew was telling us, I think what Peter was telling us is, listen, listen, The people of God should make good distinctions about those who are wolf and those who are sheep. But after we make those distinctions, unity is something that we fight for. It is not easy. It is not easy to disagree and still love. My goodness, any relationship knows that, knows the tension of that. But it is the good work that is made available through the blood of Christ that allows us to be a diverse expression of people who would say we put first things first And we allow second things to remain second things so that for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the evangelistic efforts efforts that would go out into the world, we can show a world what it looks like for us to be united, for us to love each other, for us to hold hands and say, though we disagree on some of these things that are not primary we deeply love each other and come together for the good of the kingdom of God and the flourishing of the cities around us. And that is a high call and one that I believe that the early church took very seriously and one that I think we should as well. And so it's my encouragement to us all is where can we help participate in creating unity and and togetherness in the in the communities of the people of God that we belong to and where we have participated in things that cause division unnecessarily, could we, could we repent of that and take seriously the spirit of unity and the bond of peace that God has called us into? All right, friends. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the God who made a way to unite his kingdom people together, he's crazy about you. Peace.